Stupid Hearts Club is yours to enjoy for free wherever you get your podcasts. But if you've fallen deeply in love with the show, or me, even though that's a bit weird because we've never met, then you might want to consider supporting the show via patreon.com forward slash stupid hearts club for about five or a month you can indulge in your sick little fantasy that i am your very own little audio husband friend without ever having to deal with the fact that in real life i leave socks and half drunk glasses of water everywhere either way i'm very happy you're here so please enjoy the show This episode was recorded while my podcast was still called GSOH. Don't be confused, you're in the right place. GSOH. Good sense of humor. Podcast by Nico. T- by Nico. T- t- by Nico Tataravich, where he sh- tries with. talks to people. With talks to people with a good sense of humour, G S O H. One two one two, buckle my shoe. One two one two, buckle my shoe. I am here. You are there. I'm sitting in my house. I can't think of anything that rhymes with house other than mouse. Now, now you may think that I'm being wacky. But I'm not. It's a segue. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to start straight away. Disappointing Alan impression. Uh, yeah, we'll leave that. Um, right, I'm sitting in my house. And I think I can smell a mouse. Now, I'm not, I'm not joking. I'm being serious. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not cursing. I'm not cursing. I'm being funny. Bleeding radiators. I'm not cursing. I'm being funny. That so that's another shit impression. No, it's not actually. That's a good impression of. Who can name that impression? Stupid Hearts Club sticker. In the post. First person who tells me, who is this impression? I'm not cursing. I'm not cursing. I'm being funny. Bleeding radiators. Right, bit messy as a start, but um, who cares? I have decided to do a little solo one. Had quite a busy week. Not really got someone lined up. Probably get Griggs on again this week. Uh, got lots of other cool people in the wings. I might get I might get Mona back in. Oh, I still not had a girl on apart from Mona. But anyway, there are people in the longer and medium term, who are ready to uh, come on and join me. But 
yeah, it's been a, as you know, from when I've had like a few dips here and there. Dips, not dicks. I'm not, I've not um, altered my sexuality. Um, the only dick I've ever touched, I'll just say now, one, mine. And secondly, George's, when I've had to wash it or wipe shit off it as a baby from pooing. Oh, this is horrible now already. Right, anyway, so I'm here on my own. I am, in fact, sitting on me own, chewing on the bone. I've just eaten a lovely chilli that I made yesterday. Um, and somebody decided to treat himself to some Aberdeen Angus mince. Hello, bit of a clue that things are looking up. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, after a difficult few years, I apparently have got bagged myself a little bit of work that means I'm going to be all right for a bit. So that's nice. So when I'm feeling like the pressure's off, my eyes immediately go for the higher value meats on offer in Flittig Tesco's. Um, one might say that the least uh, I deserve is 500 grams of Aberdeen Angus after what I've been through. <laughs> Do you know what I mean, though? Feeling good. You might detect, well, I'm just telling you, aren't I, that I am sounding quite chipper. And I am, I am feeling chipper. And there are circumstantial reasons for that. But that is my personal life, isn't it? And I'm trying not to get too deep into that. What I will tell you, because in the spirit of uh, the this podcast and when I talk to Matt Morgan on his and on mine, is that we have been uh, fairly open about uh, ups and downs and struggles mentally and all the rest of it. So... Here is a little update on the state of my mental well-being. Three, two, one, go. Right. So, one big thing that's changed is I've been taken off one form of medication and been put onto another. Now, it's 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 made such a difference. It is incredible. Saying that. I don't think it would be wise, unless I've already done it. And then you're like, yeah, but you've already told us this, you dick. I have come off one thing, gone on another, and I am fucking buzzing. I'm waking up. I'm sleeping through the fucking night. First time in about fucking 15 years. I'm waking up, fucking bouncing out of bed, singing, making a cup of tea, I'm absolutely fucking loving it. Um, but it, the point I want to make is that if I said like, oh, I was on this, which is bad, but now I'm on this, which is good, that is not wise advice, and I wouldn't say that to you. I would never say that to you. Because different meds suit different people at different times. The worst thing you could possibly do if I have actually name-dropped my medication already, the worst thing you could possibly do 
when the doctor says yes we're going to put you on this is do is um google it looking for forums and whatever and like side effects and like is this you know p googling a question about um, about a medicine and then reading the answers is fucking stupid because the people that are going to bother to um post their negative stuff are the people who've had a bad time the people who are just having a good time they're not going to have a reason to go on the internet are they so i just want to make that clear i massively support um being open about mental health but i draw the line at um promoting a particular medicine but in case you're interested Mirtazapine. There's never been a better time to have mirtazapine. Up to 600% more effective than citalopram, which is for weak, fat people with no friends. You see, I'm joking. I wasn't, and don't have a go at me for bringing fat people into it. I'm the fat people in this story. Because two weeks into taking mirtazapine, please don't take that as a guarantee. This is not a guarantee. I am losing weight already. My my tits are shrinking, the gut is shrinking, and it some of it ju must just literally be whatever the side effects are. But more likely is the fact that the one I'm taking now knocks me out about half an hour after I've had it. I'm sleeping through the night, waking up in the morning. He's only going up our sight out of bed, having a little cup of tea. Got the willpower not to put the sugar in it. He's learnt a little bit of a lesson from Matthew about the carbs. And he might eat something but not have so much bread. Then he's going off getting on with his day. And his body clock's already back on the fucking game. And by the end of the day, he's eating three fucking decent meals. Very sensible snacking. He's exercising because he's got the energy to exercise. And he's back in bed again. <laughs> I've not felt this physically and mentally good in fucking hell. I can't even tell you. I'm going to have to press stop to think about how how long it is since I felt this good. Three, two, one, stop. And one, two, three, and we're back in the room. It was 2006. I feel better than I felt since 2006. Stick that up your ass. So, if there's a moral to this story, because I've not really, you know, been feeling good long enough for it to have made that much of a difference yet, but if you feel like shit, do not accept that as normal. Go to the doctors, say, that's not right. I'm not sleeping, I've got a lot of stress going on. Blah, blah, blah. This is happening, I've tried that, that doesn't work. I've been on this drug... I don't feel it's doing it, blah, blah, blah. There might be more. Push, push, ask. Push and ask. Keep going. Basically, they would have left me on citalopram, the perfectly adequate SSRI that works for some people but not others. If I'd have stayed on that, I would still be all tired and bloaty and all over the fucking show. I'm sure of it. I'm sure of it. But someone else might seri I, I have seriously benefited from citalopram when, when that was right in the moment but because I'd been having genuinely quite 
fucking distressing actual bullshit going on that mean, means I've, you know, I've had, you know, not nice stuff banging around my mind that needs figuring out that day or the next day. The, the capacity to overthink at night and um, then be awake for hours and then get into a bad loop specifically required me to be given something that means that I can nod off and that that is the big thing that's changed all right so that's enough of that um never be afraid to say that you're struggling never be afraid to say that the methods you're using to try and beat struggling are not working but also never think that whatever method you're doing not working that means it's not worth trying bullshit it just means you haven't found the secret recipe for what's going to sort you out yet so there's your little mental health catch-up i'll be back in a minute in the background while i am talking to you i've decided to have the telly on i've just found some food content on iPlayer I've got the hairy bikers on and I am st I'm struggling to concentrate here because oh you know because they're doing their, they're doing a little trip up north aren't they dude they certainly are dude we're making beef beef bourguignon Lancashire style what does that mean dude I don't know but it justifies having a theme for the episode oh that's right get them mushrooms in there oh bloody hell we're almost too close, aren't we? We certainly are, dude. There's something slightly sinister about war relationship. I know, but yet I sometimes allude to the fact that I'm married to a Romanian woman, don't I? You certainly do, dude, but we never see the Romanian woman, do we? We only see you arriving home and then gunning in your horse and then shouting from the inside. Oh, don't tell the boys and girls that I shout at me Romanian wife. Why are you bringing it into boys and girls? This isn't a kid's show. It bloody feels like it. I'm fucking mixing the accents up now. I know. I know. They've just put a fucking pastry crust on top of a casserole. I know. Dude, you need to calm down. I'm trying to tell you what we're making is a pie, not a fucking casserole with a fucking hat on, is it? I know, but dude, it... It sort of feels like it is, because Berth Bourguignon is a casserole, isn't it? But French. I know, but when you put a fucking crust on it, it's not a casserole with a fucking crust. It's a fucking pie, man. Don't shout at me. Oh, yeah. I'm not allowed to shout at you, but you're allowed to go and shout at your fucking Romanian wife, ain't you? Yeah, cunt. Not sure where this is going. Um, but, yes, um, I admire the... Um, the warmth between the hairy bikers but it but it is um something remains unsolved there for me something remains unsolved and i'm not going to go cheap and be like ha 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 it's two men together that go away biking a lot and it's basically the culinary version 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 of brokeback mountain that wouldn't be funny it wouldn't be funny it would be cheap i don't think that's it anyway but something is fucking wrong with these two. They never fucking stay in one place. They're always off two motorbikes up and down fucking Europe. And they complete each other's sentences. 
It looks like they've never, ever, ever had an argument, and that isn't fucking right. And oh, dude, don't worry, man. Whatever you're saying, I'm just agreeing with. I know, that's right. And what I'm saying, I'm agreeing with as well, dude. Uh, well, fucking just fucking grow up. If you've got something to say, fucking say it. Or I'm not gonna, am I? This is the space that I've created for myself where I can just pretend that everything's all right. I know, we've basically become a major staple of BBC's fucking output just out of hating our fucking home lives. That's right, dude. I don't even know which fucking character I'm being anymore. Anyway, they do make nice scran. <sighs> Look, who who do we trust least? This is this is what I want to ask you. Who do we trust least out of the hairy bikers? Is it Dude, me, the one who's got white hair and a bit of a beard, looks sort of like Billy Connolly, or someone that would have been in a gang with Clint Eastwood in one of the Every Which Way But Loose films. Or is it me, the one who looks like a little Frenchman that's been fed with foie gras? <laughs> fucking goose fucking feed. You know, the one who looks like he's been fattened up and he's got a little moustache. But look what he's done now. After years of having the moustache and never changing, never looked like I've even had a haircut or done anything different or even changed my underpants. But now, yeah, look, dude, I've got a twizzly little moustache. I've put some beard oil in my hair because I'm, I'm, like, trying to look like a hipster. Don't try and look like a hipster now, dude. You you look like you're in your mid-sixties. Let it go. Let it go. Oh, don't sing that rubbish. Let's put our Metallica and Queen CDs back on when we go on road, ignoring our wives for months at a time. That's what I'm saying. Hey, man, it's just re- I've, How are you? I've just realised... I've just fucking realised who we remind me of. The pair of us together. If you put us together, we're like fucking Matthew Morgan. Ganning up and down the country. Avoiding our lives. Getting into all sorts of scrapes. While growing different facial hair and listening to shite fucking rock music. Oh no, you're joking, aren't we? Are we the fucking bastard love child of... <laughs> Are we the bastard love children of Matthew fucking Morgan? No, we're older than him. He's the bastard love child of us. Oh, no, but we weren't going to go down that cheap route where we do a joke about two men who were friends being in love. Oh, no, but the emphasis of the joke isn't on homosexuality. The emphasis of the joke is on the idea that we've fathered a child. Oh, yeah, that's much more innocent, isn't it? It certainly is, dude, and this fucking bit has fucking outstayed its fucking welcome. Fuck off. In love, I'm in love. <laughs> and so am I. Okay, right, what should we talk about now? What do you want to know? Let's, I'm going to have a look at my phone. I'm going to have a little look at my phone. Uh, because a couple of people have asked me questions on Patreon. Sir... Let's have a look what you would like to discuss. Okay. Chris Barnard asks, Nico, comma. I wonder what Chris Barnard sounds like in real life. I should have got him to describe his voice and then tried to do it. I'm going to do him like this. Nico, in the Victorian episode of Murder in Successville, brackets, the best episode, close brackets, comma, a certain fellow, Mank, stole the show. He means me. <laughs> Lovely. Very nice. 
He appeared dressed... Uh, wait a minute, he's, he's just told me he's a mank. I'm doing the wrong accent here. I'm afraid we're going to have to start this comment all over again. I'm going to do you as a sort of knobhead scrope mank. Right, here we go. Yeah, Nicole, in the Victorian episode, murdered in Successville. Brackets, the best episode, close brackets, comma. A certain fellow mank stole the show when he appeared dressed as a prostitute with face covered in spunk with his face covered in spunk full stop i wonder comma what was the spunk made out of question mark and was it uncomfortable to work with question mark how many takes we needed question mark tarkid what a lovely question chris um and uh yeah the what a day that was fucking hell right so you know i don't even know who on here is even aware of Murder in Successville. It was a BBC Three show starring Tom Davis uh, and a celebrity guest every week. And I was uh, an occasional regular returning character just to be kicked up the arse by the name of Sid Lowcroft, the town loser, the worst guy in the police station. It, just, it was just a a little foil that could walk in and then Tom would do something to make me look stupid and um, it, it was a lot of fun it really was a lot of fun even though it was comedy bullying but yeah I loved it I fucking loved it I lapped it up I did but I didn't lap the spunk up just just that's just everybody slow down Murder in Successville was a hybrid scripted and improvised comedy you there was a script there was a full script for everyone except the guest who was basically in an immersive crime solving experience and you know there'd be a lot of ad-libbing and dicking around because that's just what happens if someone who hasn't got a script says something you gotta say something back i'm pretty sure it's on iplayer if you want if you've never seen it I highly recommend you watch episode one of series one with Jamie Lang as your first one. And I don't think it ever got funnier than that. It was fucking funny. What happened that day, that was fucking funny. But along the way, there's a few episodes um, that uh, that were great. And um, I wrote the script for a few of them. Other people wrote scripts for a few of them. And then I would sort of script edit and we would dick around with them and change them a bit. So... Overall, I did have a fair amount of input into uh, three seasons series of uh, of Murder in Successville, but the end result, what you see on screen, I don't know how. Might be I might be being too generous to the writing to say it'd be like what's on screen is fifty fifty. Probably more in, the, probably slightly heavier in the favour of of what happened in, that was improvised. But of course, you had to create. A world to improvise in to start with so um and it used to get shot in one day and what would happen was say your guest was right so let's think of a guest that we had let's let's use the victorian episode as an example who was the guest that day i believe it was it was martin fucking kemp martin fucking kemp from spandau bloody ballet and what a handsome man with his piercing blue eyes and his lovely silver hair, um, he was having the time of his life. I mean, I haven't met, not met many uh, 
properly famous people, so it's still now. I'm, I'm sort of a bit over it. I can't give a shit most of the time, but sometimes you meet someone and you go, "Oh, what you? You know, I wasn't into Spandau Ballet, but that's pretty cool. You're an '80s pop star. I'm glad you're here today." And he had an absolute fucking ball. Um, what you need to know about that show is that there is not a single thing they know about what's going to happen other than obviously if they've seen the show they've seen other episodes so they just walk on in their outfit and they go from there they are playing a game they're effectively like a customer in a fucking panic room or whatever you know what i mean but yeah martin kemp was was fucking hilarious that day and the it was that was series three the uh there's a victorian episode anyway if you look for it on iplay you might find it and uh Whenever I got to be in it, I was only ever Sid Lowcroft. Other people like impressionists like Luke Kempner, Colin Holt, uh, um, Ellie White, um, 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 Kevin Bishop, loads of fucking funny, cool people would play a celebrity in a fictional town that was a bit gothic, a bit kind of Sin City. So then what happened is Tom Davis was playing a detective called Sleet, D.I. Sleet, a big sort of grisly gumshoe detective whose, ta- whose town that he lives in has gone to pot because all these people keep getting murdered. But the murders are always basically silly versions of a very famous person like, I don't know, Simon Cowell's died. But it's like, Simon Cowell, the mayor, has been murdered? Who could have done it? You mean it? You know, Wayne Rooney was seen near the... Wayne Rooney, the milkman, was seen near the scene we better go and check him out right so that would happen and that was me making a scene up that's not a real scene and then the thing they go right stop and then the the celebrity guest who is being a kind of rookie cop would be sent back to their dressing room and we get ready for the next bit and then they go and get them again and bring them out and it'd be like right okay look wayne rooney's in that building over there we need to go in and talk to him and then we'd film them walking in and obviously like i said we'd written a script there was um, there was actual dialogue and lines that we had to all deliver, but you would leave room for the rookie cop to speak, and then when they'd finished speaking, we'd crack on with what we were supposed to be doing. Um, sounds really complex, but when you watch it, you, you get it straight away. And even though it, it's never had a huge audience, Murder is Successful, I reckon, will, even if I do all the things I want to do in my career and achieve everything I want to achieve. I think it'd be hard to find something that's as fucking belly laugh funny as the best bits of Murdering Successful were. It was fucking unbelievable. Anyway, and that's not because of me. I'm not blowing smoke up my own arse there. That's because just you couldn't, you could not account for what might happen. And for me, that is... Um, the conditions that we made there for Tom, Big Tom Davis to be funny were, in my humble opinion, the very conditions where you are going to get the best out of him. And, um, I mean, he's funny generally, and he's funny in real life, but that was alchemy. That was like when something's better than the sum of its parts. Shouldn't have worked, really, as a show, but it bloody did. Anyway, so here we are, episode fucking something in series three. And we've decided to do a Victorian sort of, uh, almost a kind of Jack the Ripper style, Ripper Street kind of episode. 
because the, each episode would be themed some of them one of them was for example felt like stranger things then you'd have another one that was like narcos and yeah we just kind of mixed up the themes in different episodes but in the victorian one sid lowcroft the hap- the hapless you know uh office manager of the police of the uh, police station was found to be working in a victorian brothel so as usual it'd be like tom is being sleep he's talking he's he's trying to talk um martin kemp through this you know you know why we're here and what we need to do and the questions we need to ask we need to in that in that particular scene i remember that the joke was that they needed to talk to the neville brothers gary and phil neville because something had gone down they they run they run this brothel but it was a little bit like boardwalk empire i suppose and there's, there's a guy called perry I forget his name. He's from This Is England. Perry, I'm gonna I'm gonna search for it. Perry Fitzpatrick, lovely lad, good-looking bloke, very funny. Um, deep Derbyshire accent or Nottingham, can't remember. But yeah, he he's fucking great. So he's one of the Neville brothers. Martin Kemp is um, being the rookie. Sleet is like big fucking lamb chop, stick on things and a top hat and all that. And suddenly he goes, hey, wait a minute, look over there. It's Sid Lowcroft. What the hell are you doing here, Sid? And I had to wear a full big petticoat kind of Victorian dress <laughs> and high-heeled Victorian kind of lace-up boots, which are the most painful thing I've ever experienced in my life, like trying to walk in them. It's like no one could even see my feet. Again, that was like... Yeah, let's let's make him do it. Ha ha ha! Very fucking funny. But um, the joke was um, that I'd was I'd been undercover in this brothel, the Victorian brothel. But they'd forgotten I was there, and I'd ended up having to work there. <laughs> so he's like, "Hey, hey, Sid, what are you doing here?" And as a little joke, they they um, made it that um, it was a little bit embarrassing because I'd just seen a client. And I had a sticky face. Um, so, you know, I thought the joke was funny. I was up for it. And then the makeup lady um, comes along and says, right, we've got to jizz your face up. <laughs> and in a moment like that, and I'm probably still processing this, but in a moment like that, that's what Tom Davis is giggling like a fucking two-year-old because he's so happy that I have got to stand there and have pretend jizz painted onto my face so that we can do this scene. <laughs> what a fucker. And he, the question you've asked me is how much of it, one of the questions you've asked me, how much of it, what was it made out of? Like, they, he was stood there going, oh, no, I don't think that's enough. I think we really, he really needs more of it on. Like it, like in, in, um, Oh, what film is it with Cameron Diaz? Um, something about Mary. They do the jizz joke, and there's like one big glob glob of it, spunk jizz, uh, stunt jizz, and then puts he, he, br- he br- she brushes it in her hair, and then it's stuck up. But this was like just Tom going, no, 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 just all over his face. So basically, I looked like a fucking Bukaki video person. Very, very funny. Well done, Tom. Ha ha, fucking ha. But no, it was funny. But I, I think there's a sort of um, 
they make they they have re- I don't know the recipe they make they they some in my head I can hear the word glycerine I don't know but it was it's something that they put on but actually it stayed sticky so you know it's pretty kind of real I'm not going to lie to you <laughs> it is funny but there are little moments along the way in doing that kind of comedy where you start to go like this is funny but do I really does it always have to only be this please so you know it is fucking funny I mean the other one he had me do is um, there was one where there was like it was like a bat cave and he had a, a, a superhero character called Ratman that sleep secretly was Ratman and they had me in that one I had to walk in I was really out of shape as well I had to walk in in tiny underpants <laughs> and in front of Professor Green who then slated my body and then um, I can't remember why but I walked off with my ass out and you know you're sort of going yeah yeah it's all for the fun and whatever but there were moments where that didn't actually feel you know the third or fourth take you're sort of going I could fucking do without this but everyone else thought it was very funny ha 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 I've since worked out that I don't need to be on television that much that I would like to just be someone's fucking punch bag um it is funny it's in the spirit of the, of the piece it's all right but that yeah it's not it's not without its uh, cost so no it wasn't uncomfortable um physically but mentally you could say over three series i started to pay the price for always being the fucking fool who's being humiliated um i probably wouldn't want to do that now but it was fucking funny. And the funny thing about the uh, the Ratman one is that I was trying to find photos of sort of my appearances that you could I could then like link it, like put it on social media or whatever and say, hey, if you're interested, um, you know, this is the episode I was in and whatever. And here's a funny moment with me with my ass out in a in, in the rat cave. Only when I'm looking for that image. I find that I my photo has been um, put on a sort of hot men, hot TV men blog or like website. So basically, I had become um, a gay icon briefly, which actually made me feel a lot better because I thought I was a bit out. Of, well, I, I am a bit am and was a bit out of shape. But someone saw fit to go. Oh, he's got a nice little bum. So I'm I am shallow enough that I'll go. Yeah, I'll, yeah, yeah. I'll take that. Yeah, needed that actually. Thanks, lads. Yeah, thank you very much. Just uh, no more jizz. Thank you. Got got enough of that on my face already. Moving on to another question. BB one one four. What's that? Why call yourself that? What does that mean? That makes you sound like some sort of vitamin or some sort of, like, pathogen. What are you, pathogen man or lady or anything in between or at either side? I don't know how you say this stuff anymore. Hi, Nico. Who is this? I can't even... Right, okay. Hi, Nico. Have you always worked in comedy or have you ever had a normal job? 
Well, BB1144, I haven't always worked in comedy because I was a child, wasn't I? I wasn't just born, I wasn't born in the fucking circus. You know what I mean? That put me in like fucking clown school and then I graduated and then got given a diploma and then someone fucking, a trap door opened and I fell down a slide. Oh, I'm going into the comedy world. No, 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 no. I, my journey into comedy, um, I actually didn't do any comedy until I was 30 years old. And it's easy for me to forget now that there was a full, you know, fucking 12 years of being really down on myself that I thought I should be doing comedy or I should be trying to do comedy in some way because I loved it so much and so many of my friends and people that I'd knock about with would be saying, oh, you should fucking go and do it, man. You'd be good, blah, 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 whatever. And I'd be going, yeah, 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 well, I am. Like, I am going to do that because that's what I'm going to do. So, like, all of you need to chill out because obviously that's all in hand. That's not a problem. Um, that's That's interesting. You know, when I was at college, let's say it this way, I was what, obviously you're like 18, 19, I'm at college doing like design, advertising, copywriting, graphic design, all that. Um, we had to write, we had to learn how to write a radio ad and then we had to then record them. So we went to a studio and I did all the voices and just basically was completely in my fucking element at this place where there was like, you know, a man and a mixing desk and microphones and we did these scripts and then he put the music and the sound effects on and whatever and I think that was the moment during that time when I was at my peak of being a comedy fan. So you're looking at what, 1994, 1994, 95. Our tutor, my lovely tutor, Alice May, who's an excellent uh, copywriter and generally just a smart creative lady and who was really cool and looked after us like we were like six young sort of hormonal lads and we got given like a really cool cute teacher lady who you know was older than us but you know we we weren't we weren't it wasn't like being a child and like there's an old fart teaching you it was like quite cool at college you're sort of closer to the age of the people that are teaching you and it helps you because you start to be able to feel what the real world's like a little bit so yeah Alice Lowe legend Frank Seddon legend Ian Parkin legend um and Charlie Laycock the bit the greatest legend of all creative art college teachers these people were fucking amazing and still are apart from Charlie who passed away not that long after college bless his heart but these these are the people that when you're a sort of quite vulnerable, impressionable, show-offy age trying to figure out how to be an adult, they were sort of just going... They were trying to help you figure out who you should be. And specifically, the man I've just mentioned there, Ian Parkin, still a mate of mine, he is, in fact, uh, I think he's just sort of retired from teaching after all these years. He ended up quite high up at Stockport College like running the creative departments and stuff and just being like, I don't know, don't, I don't know what the fucking um, job title is, but he was a fucking legend and we talked many times over the years 
about what he saw his role as as an as a, a art college if you like and it's funny because as a kid you'd be or as a young person you'd be thinking specifically you're trying to get out of there like you end by doing like an exhibition a show or whatever and maybe mentally you've got a little bit too much emphasis on what is the work we've we've been and, and what you're gonna you know you're gonna qualify and what will the grade be and all that but but they're very open about it in like in the sort of art art college environment setting that it it sort of doesn't matter what you do and don't make there it's more about figuring out what you might be about and it's funny because i didn't really i didn't achieve anything in that course over 2 years that was definitively like uh and then he made that and that was his first thing and then he went on well i did apart from making a couple of little daft videos along the way. But what did happen at art college is that we went to the fucking library and we watched mad old films and we discovered, you know, we started to we started to wonder why, wonder how the things that we loved were made and who got to make them and what their journey was. So even though the job in hand was to actually learn to write piffy fucking wording for like ads and stuff, which I don't fucking regret at all. Like so at that level, at the at the trying to get your brain engaged level, like believe me, writing copy and uh, cracking pithy ads for a very specific problem, it's not fucking easy to do. And we used to look through all these old American um, ad um, annuals, like award-winning stuff, like DNAD kind of annuals, and you'd see. Th- the smartest thinking from across from from like Madison Avenue, like Mad Men, you know, like basically Ameri- classic American eighties advertising, and you could see how fucking sharp a mind can be, and that was really interesting. I never ever really fell in love with advertising, and I uh, I have I'll I'll talk about that another day properly, but um, I think it's insidious and terrible how much that the advertising um and the the uh the commercial pr spinny kind of universe dominates our life in western society but i won't fucking bore you with that today what i'll say is that regardless of that being true the challenge of having to crack something by thinking of the right thing to say was absolutely without a doubt an amazing grounding to help later on when I ended up doing comedy and the other thing that was helping at that time was that I lived in a pub quite a I'm not going to call it a rough pub it wasn't really that rough but it was a working class boozer uh, with a lot of different characters in it and you had to be able to hold your own behind the bar because otherwise you get the piss ripped out of you right so I, I was watching my mum be fucking awesome at that she was like five foot one but was running the place like fucking Peggy Mitchell, you know what I mean? Or Bet Lynch, probably closer. So, back then, I'm uh, very aware that I love the young ones. I love um, Harry Enfield, and we've just discovered Alan Partridge on cassette, Know Me, Knowing You, Radio 4 series, and... Uh, and then he and then Steve Coogan did the Live and Lewd tour, 
and there was just like fireworks going off in my head at that point but I didn't think it was something that you just go right well I'll, I'm going to start doing that had I been uh, maybe from a slightly different background I may have known that you can go to certain universities because there's a comedy scene and meet people and start dicking around and doing comedy and that's a strange thing because it would have been fucking amazing to know that I probably would have ended up doing drama and reviews and fucking sketch comedy right from the off from like 18 but I didn't know that existed I'd heard of things like the Footlights Review and all the people that you saw you sort of knew that they'd known each other and had done some dingy live comedy before but I just had no fucking idea how it was all put together so I, I just went off trying to get a job in advertising as a writer and through various uh you know, pretty unglamorous regional northern um, Manchester sort of little design agencies and ad agencies. Got my first sort of few years of sort of writing under my belt. But um, along the way, you'd meet people or you'd bump into people and they'd be saying, well, why aren't you doing something? Why don't you do that? That's funny. You were saying that. I was always trying to bring comedy to whatever I was doing, but that didn't mean that I knew how to even consider starting other than having a camcorder and putting it on and turning it on and just weirdly what I'm doing now is just pressing record and talking and I'm quite comfortable with it because podcast is a, is a medium that's been born that lets you do that but then you didn't really have that so I used to okay I used to like I bought a dictaphone I used to tape myself talking shit doing voices whatever but I didn't have the discipline to figure out how to go right think of a thing and then be him and do that or like create a character it took years of understanding of, of watching things and, and then slowly meeting people like through moving to London really that you suddenly would be in a room with like someone who's done some stand up and you go yeah what's that and they go yeah well you know like you don't have to be like you're not like you don't start amazing at stand up you have to find out where there's nights for new people and you go oh right oh right I didn't know that existed you mean a safe space to be shit at comedy? Okay, can I go and see that? Yeah, yeah. It's in that pub over there. And you go, oh, right. You go along and watch it and see some people, God bless them, and, and, and no, no disrespect, but you see people being terrible at comedy. And you go, oh, so this is where it starts. So then you start doing a bit of open mic. And then by going to open mic and hanging about, and getting up and doing a sort of slightly crap, very nervous little comedy comedy sort of bit of stand up, you'd then be, you're then in a room with other people who are into comedy, and then you you meet people and it, for a start, then it started to be something you're going, I'm intrigued here, and I'm going to keep digging, and then um, I guess because I was doing that. I was brave enough to ask a friend of mine who is a TV producer if she knew anyone who in the TV comedy world. And she said, yeah, I'm going to bring my mate along because I was in, in a band with my mates at the time. And she brought she brought a guy called Shane Allen along who ended up being like... He was at Talkback, I think, at the time, which is which was doing Ali G and, and all that sort of stuff. So that, as you can imagine, someone saying, yeah, I'll bring my mate with me. He works at the, the company that makes Ali G and they've got, like, Alan Partridge and fucking Smith and Jones and people like that have like 
come through there. So this geezer sort of like gets introduced to us. I get an email address and then he goes, yeah, well, we're making a cheap little pilot. We could do with some ideas. You and your mate want to chuck some ideas in the pot. So that that was the start. That was amazing. And um, what we had to do was hang out. I mean, it went round to my friend's house. And then we had to think of some things that we thought would be funny to happen in a TV studio for... It might have ended up being something that was like the Friday Night Project, which was Alan Carr and Justin Lee Collins. It might not have been exactly that show, but it was that type of a show. And so what what I'm getting to is what's interesting is if you haven't even got a clue how the fuck any of this works, what's interesting is if you just buzz about asking people if they know of anything that might be going on that might be in any way useful for like a new person who's into comedy, someone at some point will say, oh yeah, do you know what you should do? You should talk to this person who's making that or that, oh, have you, did you know that there's a, a new writer's thing on, the, on a radio station? Or, oh, have you, have, or they might just give you advice like, have you, think of a character and then do your own Instagram page and then da 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 and then da 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 and like just ask people who do it and that's how you that's how you get into it but yeah I basically was still a copywriter then I was still doing advertising at this point now starting to feel very very anti-advertising and almost a little bit of kind of like almost like um you know, you have that kind of mini uh, midlife crisis of being towards your late 20s where it's like, who the fuck am I? Where's this going? And you, you're trying to jostle in position in your own head. Uh, I started to be really down on myself that I, I hadn't had the balls yet to do any comedy. And, you know, like I was living with a girlfriend at the time and I can remember her being like, for fuck's sake, just fucking go and do some comedy just so that you stop fucking talking about that you could do some comedy so uh, my mate my best mate Daniel gave me Frank Skinner's autobiography and I was 30 years old and he just read it and he basically said yeah I've just read this Frank Skinner was 30 he had never done comedy and then he's gone on to be fucking amazing like read it I reckon you know might help you break the fear and even though you know I never really seriously got into stand-up in any way the point was, we all of us, a lot of people listening to this, and some of them who I know, you can just be there t- fucking cracking on with your life, knowing deep down that you've got something in you that wants to come out, or at least wants to try to come out, but it's so much easier to push it back down and go, I don't know, why would I do that? Who am I? Who the fuck am I to think that? But you'll never, ever get rid of that feeling that you fucking are hiding from it so even though I've had serious ups and downs in that job and there's times when I just fucking think I'm over it don't even want to do it anymore don't even want to think about comedy don't watch comedy don't want to worry about what TV commissioners want and what's in and what's out and what sensibilities are in and out and all that the fact is even if I never wrote another word of comedy ever again from today or never did this got hit by a bus or whatever or my mouth got stitched up and my fingers got glued together so I couldn't type. I don't know why I'm... You know what I mean? Even if I never did any comedy again, I can look back from shithouse, not haven't done it yet version me, to now and go, 
oh yeah, you went on a right fucking journey there and sort of dug into a thing and learnt it. And then, like with any trade, you sort of learn the ropes and then you end up sort of knowing what you're on about. And no one, no one sort of, you don't, you don't, it's not like school or, you know, you don't get exams or a report at the end of the year saying you know slightly more than you did last year about um, narratives and narrative arcs and character development. But slowly but surely, you, you know, it's a bit obvious. Obviously, what I'm saying is quite obvious. But you, before you know it, without you even realising it, you've really got to know something, and that's part of who you fucking are now. So that's pretty fucking cool. So uh, I don't even know if... Um, who's the person who asked me? BB1144 is asking because you have any uh, interest in comedy. But all I would say is, whoever's listening to this, whatever your interest is that you wish you'd had a go at, do yourself, do your fucking soul a favour and just dig and ask and find out and just make peace with the idea that you're allowed to not know how to do something yet, but love it enough to start trying. Yes! Well, I hope that answered your question. I didn't start in comedy straight away. I worked in advertising until I was about 30. But that I was kind of freelance. I went freelance to give myself time to try and do comedy. But I didn't do comedy. I just wrote loads of ideas and put them in a box. And then the box slowly shamed me because I wasn't doing anything about it. But... 2004, 2005 were the first TV credits and you will never, ever have a buzz like the first time in whatever the thing is you're interested in and then you sort of piss around trying to get in there and then the first time you send a balloon up and it goes up and it flies and then your fucking words have just been on a sketch show and then at the end your name's on it and your mates know what's happening and they're watching your mum's watching and everyone goes oh my god we saw your name on the credits the first time that happens you feel like you've fucking scored a goal for England at Wembley or something like that it was fucking unbelievable um, and it's good to say that out loud because you know you've heard um, Nanny and myself just being you know Things become real, and industries become real, jobs become real. You can be really fucking miserable about the hole you've dug yourself into. But lest we forget that there are valuable fucking gorgeous life lessons hidden in the waft of um, the pursuit of our dreams. Oh, what a lovely little segue. Talking of dreams... One of my dreams that I haven't really ever got anywhere near fulfilling is mu is the music, and it's funny. Like you think of self-image. I basically knew when I was sort of like still just about young enough, dark-haired enough, skinny enough that I could have got away with being in a band and looked all right. And if someone would have liked us, we could have done all right and all that. I basically hadn't been doing it long enough to be any good. And I hadn't, hadn't earned my stripes in any fucking way. And then, frankly, over the years, quite quickly, once TV started taking off, I made the calculation that, come on, mate, you know, you're writing sketches that are getting on TV. That's the thing you're going for. Drop this fucking trying to be 
you know, super supergrass 2.0. It's not fucking happening. You're already 28, 29, 30, babies come in, all the rest of it. You know, I knew that we weren't we weren't going to be a band that got anywhere. And so music then got put in in got put in the awkward box and uh has just been something that I love doing quietly on my own and not really giving a shit whether anyone is it. So that's good. But then more recently I have had a sort of slightly different epiphany where probably completely related to getting older and not not being under any illusion that you get to be like cool and fucking relevant and all of that shit anymore. But it doesn't mean that you can't get back into the thing you were into and and then make an effort at it and at least make an effort at it to create a few things that you're pleased with and that you know on on a humble level might have a bit of quality about them if because if you've tried hard enough and if you you know like I've basically been writing songs for fucking 25 years more than that now and um sometimes some of those songs are all right so what I don't want to happen is that I just ignore them, then I'm really fucking old, or I get hit by a bus, or die, or whatever, and all the songs are just kind of like scratchy little, the little strum throughs, like I've dropped a couple on before, or like a, a just a voice note on a phone and nothing else. I want to make sure that just for me, I record between now and whenever enough of my music that it can exist in a in a, a finished highly polished nice enough format to be able to say i i made the effort uh and you know it's it's a little bit like people who do art or uh and then get it in the affordable art fair or they play golf and you know you 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 you're trying to get better and better at that thing i want i'd love to, i'd love to concentrate it all on, on it all a little bit more and that's really cool but then so like from being on here i have met three separate people who uh have got really cool stuff who've said let's let's muck around and get some stuff um one sort of doing one person at a time at the moment so it doesn't turn into like billy liar but with me having musical affairs with too many people at once and then forgetting each other's names. Oh, dearie me, I've left me engagement ring with the, the far north. Oh, could I just have it back? I just need to go and visit uh, Chris in Cornwall. Oh, yes, of course, we're still getting married, broken actors. Don't worry about it. We don't want that happening, do we? But um, So that's really cool. It's really making me happy just fucking sending songs to people and then going, all right, what do you reckon this could be like? And then swapping references and then slowly starting to build up uh, a couple of songs. If you bear with me over the next sort of few months, somewhere down the line, we will. It won't be too difficult to at least have an EP's worth of stuff that we could maybe get sorted out, mastered, and put on Spotify and all that. So, like to me, that's really exciting. Like it might, no one ever might hear that music, but making it, finishing it, and putting it on Spotify, and me being able to say, I could, I got my finger out that's the fucking victory like running a marathon or whatever anyway i'm patronizing you now um would you like to hear something that i've been doing with chris from broken actors yes we would <laughs> of course you can i wrote a song um 
uh, I don't know, seven years ago, six years ago, maybe more, eight years ago, about a girl uh, who I liked and who wasn't really available. In fact, most of my songs are about girls that I liked, liked a bit too much but weren't available. And that I will save for another episode about therapy. It's definitely been a pattern of mine. But anyway, you get good songs out of that because it's fucking unrequited love, isn't it? So, there's a couple of tunes. Last week's one, My Party, is that, but about a different girl. Is she going to come to my party? No, she's not. Um, but this one is called Eye to Eye. And, um, yeah, this is the one I've alluded to in the comments of my post yesterday has a bit of a cowboy vibe to it and I'm it's already making me really happy because for years it's just been a voice note on my phone where I just thought I had an idea for a tune while I was walking for a bus and he was singing the song you know just save that like be humming not even proper words and then come back to it and then go, oh, I quite like that. And then get a guitar, find out what the chords are. And ended up completing the song, but hadn't really done anything with it. So I sent it to uh, Chris, who is on here. I, I keep fucking... He's got so many identities, this lad. Uh, broken actors, anyway. Sent him it, and he, he liked it. So we went, let's fucking... Let's have a go at it. So what I did is I strummed a version of it that was like kind of you know, making an effort on, on Garage Band, but really rough. Just get a little beat, strum it, sing it, and then I, while at peak fatness, I actually made the beat move along by slapping the bit, the tit and the belly to make a slapping sound. So here's a little snippet of that. This is tit slap version of Eye to Eye. song is gonna be like and then i sent so i send that it's fucking amazing what you can do these days you can fucking just sing an idea of a song send it via female and bob's your fucking thunkle so right so yeah so i basically strum that out with all my little bits and pieces but with with you know totally rough and then chris gets hold of it and starts dicking around with it on logic and so far, we have basically put a few bits of guitars down and a vocal and and the beat, you know, he's he's got the drum sounding good. We haven't put the bass on properly yet and there's, lo there's loads still to do. But in case you're interested, here is a working progress version from uh, Broken Actors uh, collaborating with Stupid Hearts Club on the song Eye to Eye.
Progress, uh, Ken, but uh, you know, I'm no spring chicken, I realize that, but uh, I've still got one eye on the cruise ships, you know. Uh, oh, that's right. Aye, so we are trying to sort out with putting some bass on it. Really, it needs to sound a little bit like the coral thinking, uh, dreaming of you. There's a few bits of Johnny Cash that that uh, spring to mind. Um, definitely going to be doing some Morricone-esque oh, sort of bits on. So we'll see how that shapes up. 
But what I'm going to do is we're going to get a bunch of songs nearly ready. Then I'm going to go down to Cornwall, visit Chris, and then we'll spend a couple of days in the studio dicking around, finish them songs, and then we will put them somewhere where they can live forever, as the great man would say. Now, before you go thinking that I think I'm fucking cool now and that I'm a fucking rock star, let's just remember that um, it's only two nights since I was basically forced to sing Champagne Supernova to some drunk, aggressive people to make them go away after trying to be cool for three hours singing like old-fashioned fucking love songs with my Hawaiian shirt on. Basically, I am gigging and playing songs out there for money. It, it just feels fucking great. And, and there's... I'm. It's what I would have thought te- even ten years ago. I thought, you're not going to end up doing that, are you, you fucking cunt? Fucking standing in the, sitting in the middle of a bar, like, strumming, you know, strumming along to a backing track of an elbow song to finish the night off. But you know what? I need the fucking money, firstly. Secondly, it's actually fucking all right. It's fun. And it's uh, it's just, I don't know, like doing the podcast and going out and doing this and just meaning you get a few extra quid in your pocket. It just feels fucking honest, to be on- to be honest. <laughs> it really does, and you know, it's it's not exactly an audience that you'd be wanting to um, judge yourself as a sort of fucking wannabe fucking songwriter. But it's really nice, and it's social, and you go out and people come up and say nice one and that they've enjoyed it, and I get a few quid in my pocket and. I got got Nana out the house, didn't it? Got me out the house, and then he comes back, and his ears are ringing, and we have to sit him down. And uh, no, I fucking love it. So basically, I think I've already said this, but I've I've mixed. It. I'm going to mix it up a bit more because it's a little bit too staged at the moment. I do about forty minutes of just like me and an acoustic man, but being really fucking serious, right? And then I play along to some backing tracks I've made. So it's like, yeah, I actually made this music. This isn't just cheap. This is like, I actually did these bass lines on a MIDI keyboard. And then the third part of it, I'm just like, this is downloaded off iTunes. It's literally like fucking, I don't know what song, a Stevie Wonder tune. And yeah, I'm singing to it on my new amp thing that I've bought. Fucking deal with it, okay? But by that point, I'm having such a laugh. It's like, come on, we all know this is who I really am. That is who I really am. And um, when I was in Brighton a couple of weeks ago, uh, I made a point of going into a bunch of bars where I saw they had music, got some email addresses. So I'm ready to fucking roll, man. And it's exciting. If I go out once a week and do a little gig and then put that money in a pot somewhere, that's a cheeky little holiday, isn't it? Fucking great. Love it. So I'm not embarrassed to admit that I I am actually actively aiming to be a fucking seaside guitar singer entertainer. That actually feels more exciting to me at the moment than having to write a sitcom script. But also doing this and doing that might actually just buy me enough breathing space that I could then sit and write 
something I really want to fucking write, like a novel or a play or... So, yeah, it does, you know, got to say, for all the talk of, hey, guys, follow your dreams, get into the industry that you want to get into, I would equally say just fucking make peace with fucking doing whatever you love on a humble level and, uh, you know, don't worry about being fucking cool. And on that note, here's me not being fucking cool. As I sing... um, a karaoke version of the Chris Isaac song which has been requested in the in the um in the what's it in the fucking questions I'm not even going to bother getting my guitar out I strum along to it in when I do it in a gig B minor A E I think it is uh shoot me I can't be asked here is to finish the show shameless Shameless karaoke tart, baby clothes, Nana, with Chris Isaac's Wicked Game.
Remember, if you love the show in a deep and probably unhealthy way, you can help support it on an ongoing and stalky basis on patreon.com forward slash stupid hearts club. Uh, your choice. See you soon, you internet weirdos. I- I'm, I'm one. <laughs>